Um, all right, Coach. Hey, thanks for joining me today on this episode of Simple Coach to Coach. Glad you can join me. Christmas right around the corner. Lots of demands on your time, so appreciate you you hopping on with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so my first question out of the gate with every coach that I have, not prompting, not giving any information, but give us a sense as to how your season went. Yeah, it was an incredible season. Um, you know, I think from, from start to finish, we um, we scheduled a certain way this year, as, as I think we always do, but, you know, particularly more difficult, more challenging this year, which I think set us up for, you know, quite the successful year. Um, just playing a, a high caliber team week in, week out, really prepared us for our, our conference opponents, um, and I think prepared us for the postseason, which, you know, I think at the end of the day, we were, we were satisfied with. Um, you know, I thought it was a really good year, but there's a, you know, a certain level that we were striving for, um, as I think every coach is on a regular basis. But I think we achieved that. We overexceeded in, in many ways after, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a rough start. We played some tough teams right out of the right out of the gates, and uh, yeah. kind of opened our eyes to what the level is like, you know, outside of our own bubble, outside of our own shell. Um, but it was an incredible year. I think we, we learned quite a bit and, um, you know, quite frankly, we were pretty sophomore heavy. So, you know, there tends to be a little bit of sophomore slump usually. And, yeah. um, we were, we were quite happy with our team and quite happy with our performance week in week out. So it was a good year. I mean, did that surprise you or did you, if you would have started the season and said, Hey, you're going to end up 13, four and five, you're going to win the regular season OEC. You're going to make it three into the third round. Like, would you have been like, wow, that's what I w I'm expecting. Or did you sort of anything surprise you about that? Or, um, I, you know, I think there's, there's always been, uh, you know, over the recent years, there's been a, a weight on our shoulders to exceed expectation and to, you know, win a, win a conference championship and, um, you know, we're in a, a great institution. We've got great people here. We have great facilities, great academics. So, you know, there's always this immense pressure that we have to perform on the field as well. Um, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would go as far as to say we were surprised, but I think in many ways we exceeded our own expectation that we set out from the get-go um, with such a, a young squad, as many coaches would probably say. We had a few fifth-year guys stick around. Um, you know, we had quite a number of seniors, but the guys with experience were, were pretty young. Um, so I think in that regard, yeah, there was a little bit of surprise. There was a little bit of shock. But, um, again, that, that weight was lifted off our shoulders after the OAC regular season championship, which we were delighted about. Um, but we always set out to, to achieve that every year. We always set out yeah. to achieve, you know, NCAA tournament appearance is always a, a benchmark for our program. Um, in many ways, I feel like it's a failure if we don't make the NCAA tournament. So um, I think we were we were quite pleased to get an at-large bid. And, um, you know, I think our body of work over the, the course of the season prepared us for that. And um, so, yeah, we were, we, were, we were pleased. Yeah. All right, so this is the boss's question. How would you assess your coaching? How would I assess my coaching? Um, I, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty straightforward and I, I have a pretty honest approach about me. I, I'm not a, I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer on the sidelines. So I'm, I'm a very analytical person, um, very, very methodical. You know, I watch a little bit of film here and there, and 
Um, you know, I love to have individual meetings with my players and sit down and, and talk about things. So, I mean, I, I think judging our our whole staff, um, you know, I think we did a pretty good job from a recruiting sense. We, we recruited the right players. Um, we recruited the right people, good students, good soccer players. So I think that was, that was pretty spot on. Um, but I think the work that we put in as a staff has been very rewarding, a very rewarding experience working alongside some, some great people, um, some high energy, hardworking individuals. So um, I think our coaching has been good. Uh, I think it, there's always room for improvement, but I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy on the sideline that's yelling the whole time and um, you know, arguing with referees. At least I try not to. Um, and uh, I think we, we get the most out of our players and it's always a, a really straightforward approach from a game plan standpoint and from a film study standpoint. I feel like our players, you know, they know what, what to expect. Um, they know what's happening before the game. Um, they know what's happening in training every single day. So I, I feel like judging our coaching, I felt like it was pretty spot on this year. Yeah. Okay, and just more broadly, by the way, I thought you did an excellent job from what I could tell from the video. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that histrionics from the sideline don't happen um, as I as with other teams. So really appreciate that of, of you. Um, let me ask you just broadly, not so much about your performance um, in the OACs, but just did the OAC sort of meet your expectation as to what you expected it to be? You know, obviously John Carroll being as tough as they were and Otterbein, you know, all the, pretty much most of the teams are, I mean, super highly competitive. So yeah, maybe you can comment on the OAC. Yeah, the, the OEC is always competitive. It's always a challenge every single game. Um, you know, I think this goes for any conference when you, you know, go through the whole non-conference segment. Uh, everybody knows what to expect of you. They've, they've studied you. They've scouted you. They know what your strengths and weaknesses are. So um, I think every conference has poses that, that challenge and that, that constant, um, you know, sense of, Everybody knows what you're doing, um, but our conference ex is exceptional. I, we've got a lot of young coaches, a lot of eager coaches that know what they're doing. They know how to recruit. They know how to yeah. game plan and, and implement their style. Um, so I think from a you know game by game sense, it's pretty easy. I think uh, for players and probably outside perspective to look at you know who was picked to finish where in the preseason polls and. Um, so we have to, you know, obviously as coaches, we have to steer our players straight and say, hey, this is this is what we're set out to do. Um, you know, set the expectation level, set the set the bar pretty high. We're pretty blessed here. We have players that don't really buy into the whole preseason. This is where we're going to like we were picked to finish third. I don't. I, I think everybody around our locker room knew that we were much better than that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I think our conference was really strong as it as it has been for the last few years. John Carroll is always really good. Otterbein, um, Wilmington has has improved over the years. So yeah, I mean it's it's got its challenges. Each team kind of throws at you something different, um, but nonetheless, I think it's it's always really competitive and really strong. I don't I don't think the OEC gets enough credit for is how competitive it is, um, and I think that's probably just like an East Coast thing. At least the folks who seem to be the most vocal, um, everyone knows the East Coast conferences, but few venture out further than PA. So I definitely think OEC is a lot stronger than 
and yeah, like it gets credit for about. Yeah, I would say probably twenty or so years ago that wasn't the case, but case, yeah. The game, the the modern game, has definitely um, caught up in the in the conference. And um, again, I think that's due to a lot of younger coaches that just they they yeah. study the game and they're students of the game, and um, it makes for a really fun environment for sure. Yeah, that and I think there's a quality of player. I'll just say very broadly speaking, in Ohio that you could tap into has gotten so much better as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely for my days playing. <laughs> um, hey, um, just to shift some shift gears here. All right, now with the season under your belt, you know, you, you I just want to get your thoughts on the overtime changes. So you had, but you, you did have two games in fairness. You had five ties, but yet two of those went to overtime. Both in the NCAA is that Mount Aloysius, if I pronounce that right, and North Park, and it went all the way to PKs. But do you think the overtime changes and the the, do you think that was a net positive or a net negative for the game? I mean, there there's been all kinds of conversations just from talking to coaches and obviously the players and getting feedback from referees and mm-hmm. um, officiating crews and. Um, I, it, it's hard for me to say whether or not it's a net positive or it's a, uh, a net loss. I, I think it depends on the, it depends on the program. It depends on the style mm-hmm. of play. And, um, you know, I think I, I personally didn't always agree with it at the start just because I always like to keep things the same between, you know, regular season and postseason. Mm-hmm. You want to try and, um, create as, uh, as much of a, normal pathway for our players so they can they know what to expect and they they have that routine and they um but it's just it's a it's a different type of a game um Mm -hmm. that i think this this rule change has created uh you're approaching each period a little bit differently um you know with substitutions in regards to the flow of the game and the rhythm and um playing the full period i i i think the part that i don't agree with the most is just the wear and tear that it has on our players um, I think from the, the health science standpoint where we have all this data out there supporting, you know, injury prevention and the amount of minutes yeah. that our players are out there and the amount of miles and the amount of work rate that they're going through on a regular basis in a normal game. But you put that, you know, side by side between back to back games, Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday, um, you know, like for us, first and second rounds, both games went the, the full time. Um, and, and so in 220 minutes, I mean, that's that's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, there weren't any injuries on our part, but I can imagine that that poses a major threat to our, our players' bodies, both yeah, mentally, yeah. which I don't agree with. I, I think is kind of contradictory to what, you know, I think the philosophy should be, especially mm-hmm. since there is so much data out there and we have very analytical people, people much smarter than me, that are that are number crunching and looking at yeah. the number of injuries that this poses. Um, so I, I always w- was in agreement of the day of rest for the Final Four, um, but I think that should be every round. So I, I, not to digress and talk about a new, a different rule, but you know I think that overtime rule just contradicts what I think we were set out to do and yeah. what us as coaches and administrators and and uh, you know body of athletic trainers and team physicians and everybody that looks after our players, uh, we should we should be mindful of the amount of miles that they're running. I mean we. 
we have our catapult vests that measure our guys' performance and how far they run. Um, yeah. We had four or five guys that played 90 minutes both games, first and second round, and they, they logged well over 20 miles between two yeah. days. I, mean, I think that's incredible. Um, and to yeah. do that each week, it's it's tough. It's demanding. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I, 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 I understand the intent of the overtime rule, but, but to me... I mean, it's in a good way, respectfully. It's like negligible, right? Like it's it's massaging the corners a little bit, you know? Like it's not, I don't think it's as impactful as I think they wanted it to be from that standpoint. I think you're right. Like getting a day break between first and second round. And, and those are things that are material, if you ask me. But I'm not an exercise science guy, so. Yeah, um, I think regular season two, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like we're trying to yeah. get everybody home sooner for yeah. on away trips. Um, obviously, there's the sports information, athletic training, administration. You know, coaches. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to get home yeah. sooner. Um, but uh, I, I certainly think that it's a different type of a game, um, yeah. and it suits different styles of each program. Yeah. Each program probably benefits a little bit differently from those rule changes. Yeah, yeah. It was just a different type of a year in our approach to games. Um, yeah. You know, I think you you saw a lot more ties, but I think that was bound to happen just because of yeah. again, you have two teams, one being uh, possession oriented, one being a little bit yeah. more, you know, park the bus if you will. Yeah. And, uh, I think it benefits those teams, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Did you do you think that did you encounter teams that you think that they their goal from the outset was to try to get through the 90 at you know not allowing any goals i do um i i mean we encountered a few uh, but i at the end of the day I, I think that's the same every single year it's just you know on a normal year in the in the regular season or i shouldn't say normal year but in the past in the regular season when there would be overtime where you would really pour as much as you could into the game to could, get that yeah. result um but I, I, I think that there were a handful of teams, and we saw, you know, not just in the games that we played, but the games that we scouted and yeah, um, yeah. you know, tournament hopeful teams that, um, you know, really benefited from that rule and uh, did sit back a little bit more just because yeah. they wanted to get that tie. That, I think that's why you saw a large increase yeah. in the amount of ties. I, um, I, all the coaches beforehand that I interviewed, everyone, everyone said – to a T. Oh, it's not going to change the way I play. I go out there to win, and then, and then I'm watching during the re- regular season, and and there are instances where no, you could see like it just intentionally or not, like your thinking changes when you have 20 minutes left. It's zero zero. You're under the gun. Your subs are going to be a lot different from that perspective than if you think, oh, maybe if we could get to. You know, you're you're thinking you have another 20 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it ends up being, uh, at because you're going into overtime. I think that definitely plays played a part in a lot of decisions, as far as I can. Oh, for sure, and I, I think too, like you also have to look at it from the standpoint of which teams have the deeper squads. They can dip into their yeah. uh, rotations a little bit more, and this is more so for the, the non-conference. But again, if you're if you have a challenging challenging schedule like ourselves. Um, you know, we want to go deeper in our into our bench, but you know, then that slows the game down a lot more, and it it, yeah. it disrupts the rhythm of our substitutions. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, a guy that I want to play 90 minutes against a team like Kenyon or a team like North Park in the regular season, 
um, you know, we're going to want to, we're, we're going to just going to push them as far as hard as we can, and, and they're going to play a lot yeah. more. And we can't go as deep into the into the squad. I think if there is overtime. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, I talked to Coach Bianco at Denison, and he's part of the rules committee, and we talk going back and forth about possibly adding additional like a week additional preseason and a week on the back end so your tournaments get stretched out a little bit more and the national tournament gets pushed out a week i mean do you have any thoughts on that would that be something as i would think on the on the preseason side do, would that be something that you would you would like or that you yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that would definitely benefit. Uh, th- that would benefit us. I think that would benefit the vast majority of the teams out there. Um, extending preseason. I mean, back in the back in the day uh, when we used to be on quarters. I mean, I, I felt like our preseason was ten plus days um, versus now where it's kind of shrunk into almost three days or four days. And um, yeah. you know, to you put a lot into that, and there's a lot of fitness built into it, obviously, and getting everybody's performance up to a relatively high level and then classes start and then you got scrimmages and whatnot and then your first contest I mean it's a lot to fit into a short amount of time um, again I think if we're looking at it from an injury prevention standpoint if we're looking at yeah. trying to build stamina and build fitness um, you know there's a there's more of an expectation there's there's more pressure I think on our student athletes to put the work in over the summer um, rather than you know trying to squeeze it all in now, and um, so that that pressure is felt to our student athletes, I think, more than it is yeah. for us as coaches. Um, but yeah, I think that would definitely that would definitely help. I think again, just spreading the games out a little bit more, uh, where you're not having to play three games in a week or you know postseason yeah. or OAC tournament. I mean, if you're finishing fifth and sixth, you're and you you keep advancing, you got Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I mean, that's a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um, when I was talking to Corey at, at Wilmington, he reminded me of that. Like, if you if you don't get a bye, you're playing three games in six days, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And especially at that intensity, right? We're not just talking because they're one and out. I'm sure you're leaving more out in the field than you would as just sort of a throwaway game, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's let's shift over to the season. So, so you went thirteen four and five. You won the regular season. You made the NCAA tournament. And I'll just say, I get negative sometimes. I don't know why, but that's this is. So you started the season losing to Kenyon and to North Park, and you had a tie. No, you had you you won. We, you won we beat game. Oberlin. Yeah, we Oberlin. We had that's it. Yeah, Oberlin. Yep, in between those two. Um, so. You're one and two. What were your thoughts on the team at that point? Did you, were you confident that this is, you know, it's just the nature of who you were playing, or were you sort of like I, you expected more? I think really it was it was to kind of create this eye-opening experience for the guys that look, we we want to, you know, play the best teams. We want to operate at a high level. If you want to see where you're at, not only as an individual, but as a group, you know, front five, back five, goalkeeper, um, you want to look at us as a unit, as a starting 11 or substitution. Like it was a, it was more of a test than anything, um, which I think every game realistically is. Um, But I think at that high of a level where you're playing two 
you know, eventual top 10 teams or top 15 programs. It's, it's, it's more of just the learning moments for our guys to be like, look, we all say that we want to be a top 25 team. Well, you can't be a top 25 team if you don't compare yourself to these types of programs, um, let alone beat them or compete with them. And for us to be toe to toe with both teams, um, I felt like was a very positive mark and left us with a pretty satisfied you know look on her face where we can say hey we can compete with the best and um, we feel pretty good about it yeah we obviously disappointed about the, the end result you know two of those games being losses but um, I think every every loss there has to there has to come a learning curve with it there has to be some yeah. learning moments in it I would rather learn from a game like that rather than beating up on a team six seven zero um, where the expectation level kind of drops a little bit or, or the, the overall level drops I'd rather play better teams um and uh, and learn something from it yeah yeah it, iron like the messiah logos well it's a biblical quote but iron sharpens iron right like you're not going i hate to say it you're not going to get you wouldn't have gotten as far into the ncaa's if you didn't play kenyan the kenyans the north parks of the world if you sort of like you said just sort of rolled through it it doesn't do anything for you because that's what your that's your ceiling, right? You want to always be pushing that that higher and higher. So, mm-hmm. um, hey, let, all right. So, I think you got a bomb of a midfielder, uh, 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 Levi King. Um, maybe you could just talk a little bit about the the success you had with him. And and I'm not saying that you, your midfield I thought was probably one of the better ones that I watched all season. I just thought as a as a as a unit, they just to me were outstanding. Um, and then I'll just say uh, Lucas Hickey, your goalkeeper, who I also think is outstanding. So maybe you could touch upon the midfield and um, yeah, and then the, the you know your your goalkeeping situation and your and your back line, which I again I thought was also outstanding. Yeah, well, thanks thanks for the uh, the positive marks on on our midfield and um, our goalkeeping. I think you know me. Me playing midfield in my career, I, I kind of have a, a soft spot in my heart for you know what what we expect from those those types of players. I think Levi was, um, you know, was always at the forefront. He's he's a leader, um, leads by example. Um, you know, he, he pushes those around him, and I think that was probably at the end of the day one of his, uh, you know, overlooked qualities. You know, everybody kind of looks at his athleticism and. Um, you know his ability on the ball, um, his ability off the ball, and uh, you know I think we seldom we we seldom talk about you know what he did as a leader and as a senior and as an upperclassman, um, a guy returning for his fifth year, wanting more, you know, just feeling dissatisfied with the rest of how his career had panned out in terms of success, championships, and whatnot, and um, and he put one more season into it and returned for his fifth year, and I think like that says a lot about him. Um, cause he's a pharmacy major and pharmacy wow. is one of the most demanding career paths that you can take at ONU, um, oh just in the library, you know, six, seven days a week and, um, you know, setting, setting time aside to, you know, work out on his own. And, you know, yeah. there were times where he was missing practice because he had lab or he had class that ran over and, and he was always the guy that would stick around afterwards to, to put in the work. Um, even if it was something as simple as taking PKs, you know, he was putting in, he was putting in extra ounces of effort. And again, I, the outsider's not going to see that. The outsider's going to look at, 
the stats. They're going to look at his ability on the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, his non-conference season didn't pan out the way that he thought he would, you know, in terms of stats. But he scored yeah. a point in every single OAC game, which I think yeah. is the first ever in our program history. So yeah. we, call, we call him Mr. OAC. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I, like, I think he, it was just immense, his ability, what he brought to the table. Um, you know, he just at any given moment, we felt like we could get out of a jam if the ball went through him. Um, yeah. And I think that's what you expect from your midfielders, of course, because you switch the point of attack through them or you build out of the back yeah. and you play through them. Um, but he was there on crosses. He was there on restarts. He was there defensively, um, you know, fighting for 50-50 balls. Like, I think he just – he led in more ways than, than one. Um, mm -hmm. But, unfortunately, I think everybody's just going to look at the stats. They're, they're yeah, going to be yeah, yeah. the leadership qualities no, that he brought. Was, yeah. yeah. There, was something, there was something about him. You watch him on just the video. You, you watch him. Like, you could tell he was a – he was like the rallying point for everybody, right? Like he just—that was the guy. Like you're lo always—he's the guy everyone looks for when they have the ball, you know. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's noticeable in the play. And that—that that to me is an intangible, right? Because if they don't, nobody wants to give you the ball, and you're a center midfielder. Like that's an issue, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I just see—it just seemed to me like everybody was trying to keep their eye out for where he was, because that—that's—that was their rallying point. So. Mm -hmm. Um all right so the your 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 back line got some got some um some awards and your goalkeeper too like I said for a sophomore I think is a pretty remarkable um uh goalkeeper from all the goalkeepers that I watch which are more than I care to count but uh so kit let me ask you something. Because of how you had your midfield and because of your, your back line and your goalkeeper, do you, did you feel like you, you were a much more balanced team? Like sometimes you're, what you find, especially at, in Division Three, or I watch, like, yeah, you might have a good midfield, but your back line is soft or you're, you're, you have a non-existent front line. That, that, so you don't have that type of balance. But I, I was just curious from your perspective for Ohio Northern. Yeah, that's a great question. Balance is always something that you're in, in search of as a coach. You want you know, your, your hardworking uh, characters next to your talented characters, and you want, you know, obviously the partnerships between center backs, you want to be sound, um, you want it to be sturdy, you want there to be some consistency, overall harmony within the group and rhythm. Um, you're, you're constantly seeking those things and looking for those things on a regular basis. Um, we called it playing the hot hand. You know, we're playing guys in good form, um, you know, if, if somebody's performing at a high level, we're going to reward that. And, and I think the longer into the season we went, it actually became quite imbalanced just due to injuries and due to form. Um, the NCAA tournament, we were starting nine center mids on the field. Um, we only had one true center back that was true to his position. Um, so we were pretty adaptable. We, we were rather flexible in that regard. So I think if you're talking about balance, I don't know if there's anything as more imbalanced as that playing, you know, that number of center mids all at a variety of positions. So, mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, like I still thought that those players were in relatively good form or good enough form where they could help us advance. I mean, we went on a 15 game unbeaten streak, um, the second most in program history. And so, you know, we were, it was pretty crystal clear who deserved to be on the field at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I felt like our, our, our back line, 
just again the the sheer nature of how we play possession building out of the back um we were always going to be looking to players that can do that regardless of what their original skill set was even if we played three center mids at in our back four um end up working out and pay dividends but like i think our our goalkeepers too it's the same thing you're looking for harmony you're looking for you know the you don't want that unsettling feeling where you drop it back to your goalkeeper and there's this gasp or if the keeper yeah. keeper comes out to call for it, you know, yells keeper to, to claim a ball in the air, you don't want everybody to feel nervous. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, there's yeah. you're always looking for harmony, you're always looking for mm-hmm. balance and rhythm. Um I felt like our guys did that for for majority of the season for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I definitely did like your how you did how how comfortable your backs were with the ball, right? Like that was no, that was noticeable. And if you guys were playing on the, if you guys were in a rhythm and you guys were, you know, you had the game in in, in control and you were comfortable with how you were playing, they they were just extensions of that attack because they they got the ball, they moved it quickly, they sort of knew where they had to get get to. Um, it was fun to watch. It was definitely fun to watch. So you talked about the 15 game winning streak, but I noticed what you couldn't can't help but notice you didn't lose a game in October, right? Too bad it's not baseball, but you didn't lose a game in in October. So it's that's October is before the NCAA's and before the OAC tournament. Like, what was your feet? What was the locker room feeling at that time, where you're you're just feeling like things are hum? I, I gotta believe you had to thought that things were humming along. Oh, for sure. No, no doubt about it. I think, again, it, really that started from North Park. North Park, mm-hmm. uh, after that, we, we hadn't lost until OEC tournament. So, um, you know, that was that was really kind of that, that spark that we needed where we could compete with the, the best teams in the country, top 25 teams, ranked, unranked, didn't matter. Um, we felt really good about ourselves. So heading into October... Um, we were in exceptional form. I, I thought, you know, one of the, the more well-rounded teams in the, definitely in our region. Um, and it showed, it showed in our results. Um, I think no matter who we were playing in the OAC, we knew it was going to be a challenge. We knew it was going to be a threat, um, from top to bottom. It, it didn't matter who we, who we played. Um, but we just had a really, really strong feeling. We had really good chemistry, um, really good bonds within the locker room. Uh, really good partnerships and again the good form on the field uh, really started to to show in the results and um, it, even if that meant giving up a goal here or there like obviously yeah we're displeased about that we don't want to don't want to give up that number of goals but we always felt like we we had what it took to get a result and yeah. Um, yeah. we were in the driver's seat for the majority of October for sure yeah yeah I mean that's that's fun right like that's another thing like you don't realize like how's how much fun things become when you're on those types of streaks, right? Where yeah, winning, winning, winning solves everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever a problem, and you're yeah. If if if, you, if you're starting to turn heads and get uh, get results, it certainly yeah. makes for a more fun environment. Uh, yeah. The training sessions are a little bit different. Um, you know, the individual meetings, the film, everything is just that much cleaner and more efficient. Yeah. Uh, so winning solves a lot for sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, so you go into the OAC semis and talk to me a little bit about the Wilmington game where you were, I guess it was the semis? No. Yep. Yeah, yeah it was the semifinals and you, and you end up losing um, to Wilmington. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that game. What, what, what were your thoughts? Do you think you came out on the, 
short end of that game or I, I honestly again I'm a, I'm a pretty honest straightforward coach I, I think um, at the end of the game we were obviously disappointed to not advance and to not compete in the final um, but I I felt like we we were second best in that game um, I don't I don't think that there's anything wrong in saying that I think we got off to a pretty good start uh, you know we scored pretty, relatively early um, I think some complacency started to settle in uh, you know mentality wise I to be brutally honest I don't think we were in good form that day I, I don't think we were as fiery as we had been you know the previous games uh, what I attribute that to I I'm not sure I mean we had a different kickoff time um, I think we had some some uh, I don't want to say flu bug but there were some illnesses going around going that yeah. uh, certainly didn't help I, I don't want to give excuses I just I think just from this retrospective thought thinking about that result I, I felt like Wilmington was the better team they deserved to win that game um, yeah. and and probably was the only time on the year that I felt like the the better team won in that case yeah. you know like there were a couple games where we weren't the better team but we won there were there were a few games where we tied where we felt like we were the better team so mm -hmm. I, I thought that that was that was one of the more telling things about where we were at going on that stretch of games with that much success um it certainly built up a lot of pressure and a lot of oh, just yeah. expectation that we we stepped on the field we expect to win so it was yeah. it, it was hurtful after the game obviously the result but um, it also opened our eyes to say, like, you got to perform the whole year. You can't just perform in October. you got to perform in November as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's, um, I mean, that is pretty honest assessment if you don't think. And But you are correct, right? Like, there's another, there's another side to winning, right, which is that pressure that you start to put on yourselves. Like, it's, it's, it's easy to go on a roll of two or three, but then you start to get to rarefied air where you're 10, 11, 12. Like then the numbers matter, you know? Like, are we gonna get 14? Oh my gosh, 14, 14, 14. Oh, are we gonna do 15, right? Yep, and then I think too, like at, at that stage of the year where you're playing knockout games, you're playing elimination games, yeah. it's, every mistake is capitalized, every weakness yep. is shown. Um, yeah. And, uh, and teams know that. I mean, obviously everybody is, is trying to win and everybody's trying to put their best foot forward and put the, the right guys in the right positions. And, um, you know, I think Wilmington did that to a T and uh, outplayed us for a better part of, the, of that match. Yeah. So it was, um, it was pretty telling, I think, at the end to, you know, yeah. lose 2-1. Uh, but, you know, obviously we're, we were dissatisfied with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you go to the NCAAs, you... you... You win your first two in, on PKs, um, and then you play Williams at in Gambier at Kenyon, and you lose one nothing. How, how would you rate your performance on that day uh, against Williams? Yeah, uh, not not the not the greatest of games, I would say. I, there were spells. I mean, it was just one of those games where you know you got conditions flying around and. Um, it was the coldest game of the year and so adapting yeah. to those elements took a little bit of time obviously the day before in training we're talking about that um the, the field conditions were were pretty pretty solid for that time of year so there weren't uh, other, despite the cold and the, the wind um i felt like it was just going to be one of those days where the the team that you know with their perfected craft 
the team that executed it the best was going to be the team that won. Um, so there were spells where we felt like we were the better team. We felt like there were spells where Williams was putting us under a great deal of pressure. And obviously their craft and what they were really good at it posed a lot of threat um, and more threat than what we were posing. So, uh, again, like I think, honestly, they were the better side that deserved to advance. Um, it hurts me to say that sometimes, but I'm honest. I'm going to be upfront about it as best I can. Um, so at the end of the day, like, we we – we earned a place in the Sweet 16. We, we earned every bit of that year. Um, and to play against a team that gives you a different style, uh, yeah. again, learning moment. Like uh, some, yeah. some of our players have never experienced we, We've played against teams that, you know, are constantly threatening on restarts, long throws, yeah. set pieces. But to perfect it like Williams, yeah. there's a reason why they made it to the final. Um, and they disposed some really quality sides over over the season and yeah. yeah they might not have gotten the amount of wins that a team like chicago had or um or even a team like calvin or Kenyon, like but they still were fighting it every single game and there's a reason yeah. why they didn't lose a lot um so again it was a learning moment for our, our players and um you know we can tell them until we're blue in the face this is what they're going to do this is how williams plays this is what they're looking to achieve mm. but they have to see it too and i think they our players experience it. experienced yeah. it yeah it's like the proverbial scouting report. The only good scouting report is the one that you have after you've played them. You know, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, all right, so let me ask you just beyond that now, now that you're looking forward, what are your, do you have any particular plans for this spring or do you have an approach to what you want to do this spring? I, I think the, you know, biggest thing is to let the players be students let them be people again let them be humans mm -hmm. uh you know i think that's what the, the rest and relaxation of winter break will give them um just that moment of respite moment of relaxation that they need as people and human beings so um that's important but i think the spring is is you know we, we want it to feel like we never left we want there to be again another more rhythm established it's it's always a clean slate. Um, you never know who's going to be injured. You never know who's going to be in good form. So really, we're just going to try and hit the spring like we do every year and compete, um, ha recreate the environment that we always do in, during the fall. We'll have a couple co competitions thrown in there. Um, but uh, quite frankly, at this level, it's player driven. Um, we only have 16 yeah. days in the spring. So yeah. even the best of coaches can only accomplish so much in that time frame. So what we're really looking for is for players to step up and um, you know, we're graduating two senior captains, so, you know, yeah. leadership has to take its form as well. So there's a lot that can happen between now and the spring, and um, I think really what we can control in the spring as coaches is yeah. let's just recreate the environment. Um, let's maximize our time that we spend together. Let's prepare for the competitions as best we can, and um, and hopefully that, that creates a good platform for the summer for our guys and obviously for the fall. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I was saying I, I I think this spring is a is super important now for for teams probably more so than the fall because the fall is so compressed and all that and it's the spring where you really sort of get these like you said leadership sprouts out right because now you're you're you lost a couple guys right and how that forms and then and then how this new team is going to start to sort of you know, bind together under the different circumstances. So I'm a, I'm a, 
really intrigued about spring spring yeah. seasons for teams. you really see who who truly wants it you know who wants yeah. to grow who wants to improve you don't have the rigor of the fall where you got two or three yeah. games in a week that you're preparing for there's recuperation yeah. time built into that recovery you've got game prep you you want to be lighter on your feet i mean you can you can go as hard as you want for four straight days in a week um yeah. without any games or any competition thrown in there yeah. so it's you really get to see a different side of these student athletes yeah. and um, you know, their personality starts to blossom a little bit more yeah, and their character yeah. starts to grow. And again, leadership really starts to, to come to fruition. But I mean, really, we just want to operate at a high level as if we are playing in those games. Yeah. Uh, we just we just have to create our own tempo and our own rhythm um, and our own routines and, and norms. Yeah. And uh, and again, that creates a really, good, really strong platform for what's yeah. next to come and preparing for the fall. Hey, I'll give one last question for you, and then I'll let you get back to Amazon and gift buying. <laughs> um, what, what does your what 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 does your rec, I'll just say recruiting class look like the twenty twenty threes? Like, are you are you maxed? Do you have your guys? Are you still looking? Um, are you looking to fill spots? Or are you looking for competitive individuals? I, I think every year we're looking for competitive individuals. I think um, uh, I, I don't think you know any program. I mean, at this level, is going to be full before the new year. Um, you know, financial aid awards are starting to come out, but I, I think we're we're pretty close to halfway done with our recruiting class, so we feel really good about it. It's really strong. Um, it's got some great characters, some some top level performers, guys that are mm -hmm. playing MLS next, National League, ECNL. I mean, the, the highest of levels that you can. Um, you know, I think we're, we're always watchful of transfers at the Division One, Division Two level, even NAIA um, or other Division Three schools. The the transfer rate just seems to spike up more and more each year. So we're always watchful of that. Um, and um, as the recruits like to say, keeping our options open. I think there's always that on the coaching side too. But our recruiting class yeah. is going to be really strong. Um, I think when you compete in the top 25 and compete in the national tournament, yeah. you start to uh, again, eye-opening experience, and then once they're here on campus, they really get to see why we're the way we are and the type of program that we lead, um, the type of academic degrees that they, they have to yeah. to look into. So um, the recruiting class is strong. It's it's not done yet. It's uh, it's always ongoing. It's the one part of coaching that never ends, so it's, ends. it's always yeah, ongoing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, all right, so i got to ask you another question. Sure. Um, can I just – this is one of those, like – I don't know, just general philosophical questions. Help help me understand the transfer portal, right? There is no penalty anymore for someone to transfer, correct? There uh, used to be a penalty. Like, if you transferred, you basically lost a semester. Of correct. That that idea. no longer that no longer exists. Correct. There, yeah. The penalty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, was that a COVID change, or was that been a, for a while? Be outside of COVID. Um, I believe it was before COVID. You used to have to sit out a semester if you transferred. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to say that was twenty two thousand eighteen, right around there. Yeah. So it would have been pre COVID. So so now there's no, and I hate to use the word penalty, but there is no penalty to transfer. So if I choose Ohio Northern because I'm that spectacular player, that new midfielder you're looking for, which is all true, but I, Ohio Northern's a little bit farther than I want to go to and a little colder. 
if I if I I I go there and then suddenly you realize that I'm 54 years old and I can't move and then you're like you're not playing I can just be like well I'm gonna enter the transfer portal and leave and then go somewhere else and then in the fall I could play I'll go to I'll go to Transylvania I'll transfer to Transylvania so I, I there's I can do that correct can I can I do that every year because I would have to do it every year until I found a team that would that would play me. <laughs> I, I'm not quite. I'm not 100 percent sure on all the rules behind that. Um, to be honest with you, I, I, yeah. I really I really don't know. Okay, no, I that's should, fine. I should probably know that, but I don't. Yeah, it doesn't no, doesn't happen a whole lot, but every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just trying to think. Like, have is this a bit of a Pandora's box, right? This whole idea that you can transfer without some penalty because then it just becomes like well i'll go with you because you've given me the best offer and if that offer doesn't turn out i'll just leave i'll just go mm-hmm. somewhere else and i'm not sure that that's the wisest anyhow that's <laughs> yeah we 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 could that this is one of those things you go down a route oh you could talk for hours about the transfer portal and yeah, the year and numbers and the reasons why and why the, yeah yeah the grass is always greener on the other side the other side yeah. that's it right like how many kids like uh, this is the other thought too. Like, how many coach? I don't think there's a lot. Like the guys that I've talked to don't seem like a lot. Like, you know, you basically your sales pitch is like you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you're gonna come and you're gonna be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then lo and behold, you get here and you're not. You're just like a running another player. How many guys get lured in for that and then obviously reject that? But I I think it's more of a case like I just want to play. That's yeah. that's my that's what I think it ends up. All, all you have to do is all you have to do is look at their social media posts and see what they're yeah. what they're truly seeking. And yeah. vast majority of those that that choose D one, that's their first sentence is I've I've committed to go D one. It, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't say I've committed to go play for so and so or I'm I'm committed yeah, yeah. to no. be a student here to study that's this. It. It's it's always I'm committing that's to playing D one or Division two. Yeah. And you know when when those commit to division three you don't see that you, you see yeah. i'm there to be a student athlete i'm, I'm pursuing yeah, yeah. this degree i'm pursuing this path um yeah. and that's the major difference you, you, yeah. I, the grass isn't always greener on the other side yeah, I, get no. the allure, I get the allure of going to division one and getting an athletic scholarship and um doing that in front of your peers and your family and, and you're obviously proud of that i love that um i think everybody in their right mind has chased that in some way shape or form mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, I, I do. The transfer rate is is real. The stats don't lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is. Be careful what you wish for when you when the D one. And I'm not saying it's not right, right? Like I'm not saying or it's totally wrong or whatever. But there, there's a lot more complexity to it that I don't think kids realize when they're going through that process. There are some kids that I know that it played, you know, ones at Duke, ones at Penn, ones at Villanova. Like, they're legit. You know what I mean? Like, I knew right. going there that they'd be like, oh, these are, they're going to be an impactful player. And they all turn out to be. But that's few. That's a lot fewer and far between right. um, than, 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 than that would actually happen. It's not every kid is going to be that special kid that shows up there. Yeah, there's a certain percentage that are elite that that go on and they're probably going to be playing in the MLS or they're going to be playing elsewhere um, post-graduation. But, I mean, there's just so many programs and 
I mean, there's 415, I think, in Division Three alone. Yeah. I mean, there's there's yeah. a ton of programs there, but across all the divisions, there's several programs that obviously have a different array of success, yeah. and the spectrum yeah. is is alive and well. But yeah. the the recruiting process, you don't get to learn all that. Um, no. I, I think families and recruits and even club coaches and administrators have to do a better job of teaching that. Um, yeah. You know, I meet some club coaches that I only want to. You know, I was just at the National League Showcase down in Orlando, and I, I met a, a coach that was like, I'm only pushing them towards Division Three, And I kind of picked his brain a little bit, and I'm like, why? And he's like, well, the, look at the transfer rates at Division One, Division Two. You don't see that at Division yeah. Three, And so I want that for my players. And so that was yeah. that was pretty rewarding, because obviously being a yeah. Division Three coach, I, we, we live that. We, we're, yeah. we're, that's part of our sales pitch, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. Trying to attract totally. quality students and student athletes. Yeah. But coaches on that side at the club level, they get paid the big bucks to push their players onto Division One and Division Two, and so you seldom see c- coaches that recognize and realize the the benefit of playing at a Division Three institution or yeah. do, going to junior college or doing NAIA. Um, and so there's there's all kinds of schools out there, but everybody wants D1. I mean, it's that that D1 or bust that tale yeah, as old yeah. as time. Yeah, that you talk yeah. about uh, you, with all your coaches. Do you? Do you um... Do you know, are there stats, maybe, I, I don't understand, I don't know if you log in and you look at this stuff, but can you tell, like, how many kids go from D1 to D3, or D2 to D3? I mean, you would have to do an exceptional amount of organizing on a spreadsheet to probably calculate that. Um, I think you can certainly look at the number of Division One transfers in Division Two and Division Three, no, yeah, yeah. but that land an actual spot at a different level. I, that's that's probably a number that, again, yeah. somebody way smarter okay. than me would, would have time to yeah, figure yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I was just curious, right? Because that's really telling too. Whatever it's, let, let's say there's you know a hundred or two. What is it? Two hundred kids that want to transfer and assume that they're all D one, but I don't think they are. But all D one, they want to transfer. And they all end up, or a good healthy chunk of them, end up at D3 schools. That that could conceivably be a pretty healthy indictment of sort of Division One and what it its recruiting process. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Plus, there's the number that go D2, or they they go yeah right right neutral yeah. and they go Division One. They just they yeah. want a different program or. Yeah. You know, they, they change majors. I mean, I think that's always been a part of the college experience yeah. is yeah. they change their major and then that school yeah. doesn't have it anymore, yeah. so they, they leave for that yeah. reason. There's obviously yeah, reasons of true. coaches getting let go or fired or, you know, yeah. just lack of development there, and yeah. so they, they want to see what else is out there. And I mean, there's a ton of reasons that a, a young man or a young woman want to transfer. Yeah. Um, I just think that... There has to be more teaching involved and there has to be more coaching and more mentoring of this is what's all out there and you can't just look here you have to look i mean even when we talk to our recruits we tell them straight up like look at other schools there's there's nothing wrong with looking at other schools i think you're going to learn something along the way um but uh, what you want right like they do that and then when they come back to you if they do whatever decision they've reached you know that they've made it eyes wide open right like hey i'm going to onu because onu is the best school for me yeah like, we want to encourage soccer, yeah, yeah yeah 
yeah, it's it's no different than buying a car or buying a house. Yeah, You're exactly. All the legwork before you yeah. do that. Um, yeah. I hate to I hate to make it sound that way, but I mean it's it's that's real. I mean that's life. That's real world activity there um, that these yeah. young men and young women are having to experience and make decisions for themselves. That's why you know like when mom and dad reach out to us, uh, I I don't want to hear from you. I want to hear from you know your son or your you know yeah. obviously on the woman's side you want to hear from their their daughter. So yeah. um, it's. Uh, yeah, there has to be a more mentoring and just education on it. And I think, unfortunately, coaches take advantage of that lack of education. Yeah. They kind of fill in the cracks with information and knowledge that yeah. the parents are eating up with a spoon and their their yeah. their child yeah. is, is now in the hands of that coach. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah I mean, I think that's why you see a lot of – a large transfer rate is yeah, yeah. expectation level is not met. Now – Normally, last question, I promise, and sure. then I'll let you get <laughs> back to <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> um, do, do you, under the normal course of your recruiting, is like the are, – are you actively engaged with transfers? Do you actively go out and pursue them, or do they come to you? A little bit of both. Uh, yeah. It's always – it's no different than a senior in high school or junior that, high school, if yeah. we're looking there. I mean, it has to be a two-way street. There has mm -hmm. to be – uh, you know, common interests and, um, yeah. it, you know, I think forming those relationships is, is a lot quicker and a lot, uh, it's just a faster rapid pace with the transfers just because they're probably, since they're on the transfer portal and there's X number of schools that are reaching out to them, um, there's less time for interaction and yeah, uh, yeah. time spent, you know, like obviously if I'm recruiting a junior or senior in high school that I've spent over a year discussing their options and talking about next steps with them and their family with transfers. I mean, it's, it's just, I looking at the portal and yeah. so I, I think it's always active. There, there's no yeah. inactivity other than maybe during the season, but I think even then you're still looking at who's playing and who's not. Yeah. And so there's always activity going on there. Um, but in terms of the communication, it's very fast. It's very, you know, quick yeah, paced, yeah. um, you know, between January and March, if there's, those that are still on the portal that are that are seeking schools, I mean, there's the conversations are just so quick, and because um, yeah, yeah. you know that they're happening at other schools as well. Yeah, well, they probably also honed in. They got rid of all the noise, right? And they're like, yep. "This is what I need, or this is what I'm looking for." So. Yep. All right, Coach. I wish you and your family a very wonderful Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Got to be correct here. Um, <laughs> Hope you enjoy it. Hope hope your kids have a absolute blast, and, and and you and your wife enjoy as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always a blast to be on here and uh, share my thoughts. Division three, I wish was more covered. Uh, you know, I turn on our local radio stations and listen to high school basketball. I wish there was Division three soccer on the radio. I think that's that's my goal one day, and hopefully you can help lead that charge. You've done a phenomenal job. Your coverage of Division three is great. Thank you. We will get there. Just saying. We will <laughs> get there. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, happy holidays to you and your family as well. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this show, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can also find me on antisocial media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks. This is a message from my chief marketing officer. I think this keeps him happy. <laughs>